Awesome to have you here this morning. My name is Darcy. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations. And uh, welcome. Great to have you here. And uh, those of you that are tuning in on the live stream, great to have you with us this morning. And uh, those of you that are catching the podcast. Uh, we've also got a number of guys that are with us this morning from Cairo's prison ministry. Uh, they were doing some training here in our uh, church uh, this weekend. And it's awesome to have you gentlemen with us. Um, I know that I think the weather's playing havoc with some ferry schedules, and that's kind of messed up their weekend a little bit, but uh, we just really uh, are excited about what God's doing through Kairos and through the men in our church that are involved in, in Kairos, going down to Column Bay Correction Center uh, in a few weeks, and uh, that's a maximum medium and maximum security prison in, in uh, the state of Washington that we just have an opportunity to go into through Kairos and just uh, bless uh, some guys that are there and see Jesus change hearts and change lives in a real profound way. And, and so especially to you guys that are involved from generations, just excited for, for your connection uh, there with Kairos. And uh, now what's interesting is that we were actually talking about Kairos last week, weren't we? Uh, Kairos is a Greek word that means God's special time. Uh, the way it's sometimes used in scripture is to talk about opportunity. And so we were looking at Ephesians chapter five last week as we launched our, our new series, Make It Count. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, where it says, be careful how you live, make the most of every opportunity or make the most of every kairos. And kairos is uh, a word that talks about this special opportunity, this divine ordained moment of God, but it's also a moment that needs to be firmly grasped. It's a moment that needs to be seized. And the implication in that verse is that we can actually miss our opportunity. I don't know if you're into uh, rockets or follow the space program at all, but uh, just before Christmas, there was a missed opportunity. I want you to watch this. Two, one, and lift off the rise of Starliner and a new era in human spaceflight. Give it our It uh, appears as though the mission elapsed timing system um, had an error in it. Um, and that anomaly resulted in the vehicle believing that the time was different than it actually was. All right, so on December 20th, uh, just before Christmas, uh, Boeing was part of this Starliner rocket project and it failed in its mission to reach the International Space Station, which meant that the astronauts did not get their Christmas presents. That's part of what was, was, was on this, this payload, the, the Christmas presents for the, for the astronauts that are, that are up in the International Space Station. And so Jim Bridenstone, the NASA, NASA administrator, said it appears that the mission elapsed timing system had an error in it. And that anomaly resulted in the, and I love the way he said it, the vehicle, believing that the time was different than it actually was. 
And so the, the aircraft burned more fuel, trying to maintain control, and it flew into the wrong orbit and missed the International Space Station. It was a missed opportunity. We're talking about making it count. And as we start this new year and, and as we realize it's actually a, a new decade, I want you as an individual and I want us as a church family to make the most of every opportunity that we have before us. We need to understand what time it is. We need to understand what the target is. And friends, we need to make it count. We need to make it count. Now, I believe the most important, uh, the most significant, uh, the most critical thing that, that you and I have as people alive on this planet, uh, the most important thing that we can do to participate with God and make the most of our opportunities is probably also one of the most misunderstood and underappreciated opportunity that you and I actually have. And that's the opportunity that you and I have been given to partner with God in shaping our lives and shaping our world through prayer. We are called to embrace a life of prayerful possibility. We are called to make it count by embracing a life of prayerful possibility. Unfortunately, I think when it comes to prayer, many of us are like the little girl who was in Sunday school and they were asked to write a letter to one of the missionaries that the church supported and, and the teacher reminded them, you know, missionaries are very busy people and that they probably shouldn't expect a reply. So this is what the little girl wrote. She said, Dear Brother Smith, we are praying for you. We are not expecting an answer. <laughs> Love, Susie. Does that describe your prayer life? You know, I think for, for most of us, you know, normal Christians, prayer is actually a bit of an enigma. It's, it's a bit of a mystery. We know we should pray. And, and it's not that we've consciously made this decision not to pray. You know, we don't go just, you know, folding our arms and going, I'm not going to pray. It's just that in the busyness of our lives and the busyness of our routines, we get swept along in the stream of the day's activities. And many times I think we come to the end of our day and we put our head on the pillow and we turn off the light and we really haven't spent that much time talking with God. In fact, some of us, that's when we decide we need to pray. And then we wake up the next morning and say, amen. And because of that missed opportunity, I think our lives are kind of like that Boeing Starliner rocket. We're burning a lot of energy, but we're never really getting into the right orbit. We're missing the opportunities. We're, 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 we're missing the target. And maybe we need to challenge some of our assumptions about prayer. Maybe we need to challenge some of our, our perceptions that we have 
and our understanding of what prayer really is all about. And friends, I think where we need to start is right here. We need to understand and really believe that prayer is for ordinary people. Prayer isn't just for the super spiritual, the, the, the people that you know, have got it all together. Prayer is actually designed by God for ordinary people. James, who was the brother of Jesus, uh, when he was writing his letter, he said this in James chapter 5, verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, and none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Now just focus on what I think the point is that James is trying to make here. Start of verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. Now, think about that for a moment. Because who was Elijah? Well, Elijah was one of the greatest Old Testament prophets that ever lived. I mean, in a time of famine, which was caused by him praying for the rain to stop, he was the guy that, you know, caused the widow's oil and the widow's flour to continue to to produce. He was the prophet that actually then raised that widow's son from the dead when he died as as a young man. He was the prophet that called down fire from heaven and defeated the 400 prophets of Baal. He anointed kings, he anointed other prophets, and finally he vanished from the earth in in chariot of fire. Yeah, that sounds like an ordinary guy to me, don't you think? I mean, are you kidding me? Elijah's one of the big boys of the Old Testament. He's right up there with, with Moses. In fact, people thought Jesus was... Elijah returned to the earth. Elijah prayed and God answered. Of course God answered. It's Elijah calling. When Elijah phones, God picks up the call. But James reminds us that Elijah was as human as you are. As human as I am. And prayer actually is for ordinary people. Prayer is an invitation for real people to express real needs to a real listening, loving father and experience real, tangible answers. You know, it's, it's amazing how we get so caught up in our culture, especially in, in the world of, of celebrity. It's, it's just one of the things that our, our culture is just kind of infatuated with. We idolize the movie stars and the musicians and the athletes and the rich and the famous. And some of them are, are I think really, they're just famous because they're famous. I, I mean, we, we just, we fawn over them. We're paying attention to everything about them, the clothes that they're wearing or not wearing, the food that they're eating, you know, the toothpaste that we're using. I mean, it's just like, we just get so focused on that. You know, Prince Harry and Meghan show up on Vancouver Island. And we're like, woo, Vancouver Island. And then they go home and, you know, they want to make a change in their lives. And the world gasps. <gasps> Prince Harry, oh my goodness. You know, Christians do the same thing with, um, well, Christian celebrities. 
You know, some pastors that have a lot of influence or authors or people that are on TV or podcasting and people look at them and, you know, they think they've got it together. They're, they've got the, the perfect life or the perfect ministry. They've got the, the perfect family. And, you know, they know God. When those people pray, God picks up the phone. God listens to those people. But the reality is, friends, is that there's no superstars in the kingdom of heaven. People are people. And children of God are children of God. And we all have equal access to his throne. Friends, because of Jesus. Jesus has made the way God has accepted our friend request because of him. And and God is looking at your status updates and and God has got uh, your Instagram feed on, on, on his scroll. And because of that, prayer doesn't isn't reserved for, for, for the celebrity or for the superstar because prayer doesn't depend on who you are. It depends on Jesus. It depends on, on our Father. And, and Elijah did not pray because he had great power. Elijah had great power because he prayed. He was an ordinary human who talked with God and prayer is God's idea. It's invented for ordinary people, people who are weakened by sin, people who are, are sometimes fickle in their commitment, people who are prone to doubt, people who are sometimes discouraged and bewildered, fretting about life. Invented so ordinary people like that could do extraordinary things. And we need to take comfort in that, friend. We need to be confident in that. We need to make the most of our opportunity and pray because prayer is for ordinary people. But we also need to understand that prayer is extraordinarily powerful. Prayer is powerful. James says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Read the story about a small town that had been dry for, for years. They didn't have a liquor store, didn't have a, a bar or tavern. And finally, uh, one entrepreneur saw the opportunity and decided that he would build a tavern in the town. So uh, that didn't go over well with some members of the community. And in fact, some members of a certain church organized an all-night prayer meeting asking God to do something. So not long after that prayer meeting, uh, lightning struck this new tavern building and it burnt to the ground. And as you can imagine, the owner was very upset In fact, the owner sued the church, claiming that they were responsible. So the church got their own lawyer, claiming that they were not responsible. And when the judge previewed the case, he said this, no matter how this case turns out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in the power of prayer, and the church does not. You know, if we're honest, I think the reason that many of us don't pray is we wonder what good it will really do. What difference will it really make? 
And it's not that we don't believe in the power of prayer. It's that we really don't believe in the power of my prayers. Because if we really believe that prayer made a difference, wouldn't we make prayer a priority in our lives? I remember when I was a youth and a young adult, I always had this big question in my mind when it came to prayer. You know, I I knew we should pray. I knew scriptures commanded us to pray, that Jesus set the example for us in prayer, and Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But there was always this kind of this nagging question there, why? Why do we need to pray? What's the point? Because for me, prayer was a kind of a a circle of, of paradoxes. I mean, if God already knows everything, why do we need to tell him about it? It's like, hello, God, um, remember me? You know, I was talking to you about my job the other day. Well, just wanted to check in, let you know nothing's changed. I mean, do we really need to? No, God knows everything. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter six, and this is right before the Lord's prayer, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And if God knows what we need, why do we need to ask? And that puzzled me. And if it's not the omniscience of God that gets us, you know, what about the goodness of God? We were singing about that this morning. His goodness is running after us. God is good. God loves us. He cares for us. But if God is good and if he really cares for us, why doesn't he just do it? You know, if God loves us, why do we have to ask for help? A lot of wives are thinking the same thing about their husbands right now. They love us. Why do we have to ask for help? And then there's the sovereignty of God. And God is sovereign. We believe that. He has absolute power. What he says goes, you can't boss God around. He has a will and a plan for this planet. He has a will and a plan for your life and for mine. And if God's already decided what's going to happen, why pray? He's just going to do it anyways. I mean, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. Right? Right? Well, you need to go back and listen to last week. I won't get into my pet peeve. But anyway, I don't know about you, but those kind of questions, they bothered me for years. These theological and philosophical hangups that just kind of sat there in the back of my mind and never really got resolved. Have you wrestled with them? And if you haven't adequately resolved them in your mind, it's going to be really hard to be motivated and passionate in prayer. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with the the paradox of prayer? Well, I think, friends, we need to understand the purpose of prayer. We need to understand that God wants us to pray firstly because the process of prayer changes us. The process of prayer shapes our heart. The process of prayer transforms our lives to be more and more like Jesus. We get close to Jesus through prayer. And when we get close to Jesus, we begin to see his world through, uh, see our world through his eyes. 
We begin to, to hear our world through his ears and the stuff that is on his heart gets on our hearts. When we spend time with Jesus, you can't help but be changed when you spend time with Jesus. So that's what part of prayer is about. But another part of prayer is that God actually wants to be in authentic relationship with us. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. I mean that God actually wants a relationship with you as a real, intelligent, thoughtful person. A person that can dream, a person that has ideas, a person that, that has thoughts about life. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, my dad sometimes would say, hey, you know, we're going to have a family day next week uh, coming up. Uh, what would you like to do? And, and quite often he would give us some choices, like you want to go hiking, you, you want to go to the city, uh, you want to go fishing. And, and we'd have this family conversation because we were in a relationship and, and he wanted to hear our thoughts. He wanted us to be involved in that process. And, and friends, it's the same with Father God. Just like any real relationship, God actually wants to be influenced by what we think and what we feel. Because we're created in his image. And God has a will, and he's created us with a will. And the amazing thing about being human, created in the image of God, is that our will actually matters to God. God has created us to be real, empowered persons. And there really can't be authentic personhood without some level of self-determination or some authentic power to influence things. God's given us the ability to think. He's given us the ability to feel and to dream and to plan, to have ideas and to have desires. And God is asking us, what do you think? What, 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 what's stirring in your heart? What are some of the ideas you're having? And so God wants us to, to have this real dynamic relationship with him as real people, not just puppets. But there's one more thing that we need to grasp if we're going to be fervent prayers. And I know for me, this was, this was a really big aha moment in my own life. God wants, in fact, God needs us to pray because there are some things God will only do if we ask him. There's some things that God will only do if we ask him. It's not because he's lazy. It's not because he doesn't care. But it's because God has an earth to run and he's put us on this earth to run it. Now, I know that is in some ways a ridiculously shocking statement. That there's only some things that are going to happen if we ask God to make it happen. But if you go back to the creation story in the beginning of Genesis, you find that God created man to govern his earth. And it was to be this partnership with God. It was God's earth, but he created us to be his steward. He created us to 
take care of it. And with that responsibility, he also gave authority. In fact, the psalmist, thinking back to those creation moments and in Psalm, verse eight, uh, Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, put it this way. He said, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor, and you gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Friends, when God created human beings. He gave us authority. That was his plan for Adam. That was his plan for Adam's children to take this place of responsibility as stewards, to be in charge, to actually have authority. And with that that responsibility, God actually gives authority. What Adam said was to actually have some weights. That's why you go back and you read this story. Uh, the animals came to Adam and Adam named the animals. God didn't name the animals. That was part of Adam's job. Because with this responsibility as a steward, God actually gave real authority. And friends, God honors that authority. In fact, God wants us to use that authority. He wants us to exercise that authority. And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. And as wild and crazy as it seems, because God has delegated authority to us, there are some things he's only going to do if we ask him. Because he doesn't want to infringe on who we are. He doesn't want to infringe. He's not like that boss at work that tells you to do something and then doesn't let you do it. Friends, that's why Jesus would teach about prayer and and he'd say crazy stuff like Matthew 7 where he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. It's kind of like he wants us to ask, right? In in fact, you you go to the, the book of James that we're looking at this morning, you go back to chapter four. James says, listen, you do not have because you what? You do not ask. Because Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. In fact, you go to John chapter 14, Jesus put it this way. He said, you can ask anything, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's almost like Jesus knew we wouldn't believe him, so he said it twice. Like, are are you getting the point, Jesus says? You need to ask. You need to exercise your authority. You say, well, I, but why are we supposed to ask? I mean, for things that he already knows that we need, for things that he already wants to do, well, because with responsibility comes authority. And God wants us to exercise that authority. God chooses to work through people. And God has asked us to partner with him in shaping our world. That's why great men of God through history would would, would say stuff like this. John John Wesley said this, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. 
It's quite the, the statement. Andrew Murray, a South African pastor and teacher said, God's giving is inseparably linked to our asking. E.M. Bounds, an American pastor who served during the Civil War, said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. Boy, a little intense there, eh? None of these guys smile. You, you notice that? Uh, here, here's, a, here's a guy that's a little bit more modern. His name's E. Stanley Jones. He was a, a missionary to India uh, in the early 20th century. And, and, and he said this, in prayer, you align yourselves to the purpose and power of God, and he is able to do things through you that he couldn't do otherwise. For this is an open universe where some things are left open, contingent upon our doing them. If we do not do them, they will never be done. For God has left certain things open to prayer, things which will never be done, except as we pray. That's why we just can't say, if God wants it to happen, it will happen. In fact, I think one of Satan's trickiest tricks is to come alongside of us and whisper, why pray? Why bother? What difference will it make? If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. But the Bible actually teaches us that God has given us the privilege of working with him to determine how our lives will turn out, to determine how our world will turn out, and there will be some things that will not happen unless we pray. We are collaborators, partners with God in writing the story of our world. Friends, Elijah's story is just one of the many that underscore the idea that when we pray, we can literally change history. It says, Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. It actually made it into the history books in the Old Testament. You can read the story in, in the book of Kings. He prayed that it wouldn't happen and it didn't, or he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that the sky would let down its rain and it happened. He changed history because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Prayer actually changes history. And friends, don't, don't let that word righteous up there throw you. Uh, to be righteous doesn't mean to be perfect. It doesn't mean to be super spiritual. Again, it's not about you or what you've done. It's about Jesus. It's Jesus' righteousness that is in our hearts and in our lives. To be righteous is just to be someone who's been forgiven and someone who is choosing to live for God, choosing to love God, choosing to serve him. That's a righteous person. So here's the question. If you really believe that God could use your prayers to change things in your life, in our world, 
Would you pray? If you really believe that investing time and energy and thought in prayer could actually change some things in your life and change some things in our world and change some things in your family and change some things in our church. Would you pray? If you thought that praying for your business or, or praying for your, your, your work or praying for your school would make a difference in its success and, and your role in that, would you do it? Would you pray? If you thought that you know, praying for your marriage could transform your marriage, people, we need to understand our marriages, they're under attack. Marriage is tough as it is. And, and the enemy would like nothing more than to, to, to see our marriages and, and our homes be just devastated. Friends, are we, are we willing to pray for our marriage? If, if we knew, if we thought that praying for our marriage can make a difference. If you thought that praying for your kids could allow God to work on their hearts, to shape them and to, and to soften them, would you do it? If you thought that praying for someone who doesn't know Jesus would allow the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts and draw them to himself, would you do it? Patty Bryant, uh, sitting right down here in the uh, second row here, sent me a story. I asked her if I could share this story. She sent this to me last fall, and, and uh, she'd been reading in her devotions uh, something from E.M. Bounds, one of the guys that we just talked about a moment ago. And the, the quote was along the lines of that, our prayers outlive the lives of those that pray them. Our prayers outlive our lives. And, and her story is, is that when she was a, a young lady, she wanted nothing to do with God. She wanted nothing to do with church or, or she was against everything religious. But she says, you know what? My parents must have been praying for me. Must have been praying for me and Mike. And Patty's story is that she gave her heart to Jesus beside her mother's bed as she was dying. But that's not the end of the story. Because another 10 years later, Mike came to the Lord. And Patty said she just saw this quote last, last fall and it just kind of blew her mind to the idea that our prayers actually outlive the lives of those that pray them. And when we pray something, God's still able to take that and use that and to work with that. And that's the testimony of their lives. Prayer makes a difference. Friends, if, if you thought that praying for our church would make our church more effective in the mission that God has called us to, would you pray? Would you pray for our church ministries? Would you pray for, for Vertigo and Project 68 as they kick off this week? Would you, would you pray for Alpha as it starts on, on Thursday that God would just be able to, to do some amazing things in people's hearts? Would you pray for our church leaders and our pastors and our church finances and this renovation project that we're in? Would you pray? So we got the ushers to give you a sheet this morning at the start of this talk and uh, it's some homework. And so I'd like you to pull that out right now and just have a look at that. 
theme of our series, Make It Count. And it says, because God will use my prayers to change my world, I will pray. And then just some ideas that can be sparked in your own heart of, of things that we need to be regularly praying for. What are some things that you need to be praying for yourself? What's, what's going on in your life? What's keeping you up at night? I, I mean, some of this stuff, it, it's, it's easy to think about. Paul in another portion in Philippians says, you know, don't worry about it, pray about it. So, so what can you pray about for yourself? What can you pray about for your family, for your friends? What, what are some of the things that are going on in their lives that God can make a difference in? What about for your church? We already talked about ministries and leaders and the finances and, and renos. Will you pray for that? Just jot some things down. What are some of the things that we need to be praying about for our community and for our world? Because God will use my prayers to change my world, I will pray. So I just want to give you a few seconds here to think. If you got a pen, maybe borrow one from your neighbor. Make a few notes. Write some stuff down. You need to take this sheet home maybe and prayerfully ponder it. Even ask God, what are some of the specific things that you're putting on my heart that I need to pray about this year? Because friends, all through scripture, there's this story of God wanting people to work and carry out his purposes. And one of the ways that we involve ourselves in the kingdom of God and choose his ways and choose his purpose in our world is through prayer. Friends, when we pray, amazing things can happen. It's because we release God to step into our lives in a way that can only happen when we ask him to. Will you pray? Can we just stand as we conclude our, our service this morning? Lord, this, this little sheet that we've got here, it's, it's just a, a tool to remind us to make it count. Lord, to, to understand the opportunity that we've been given this year, this week, today. Jesus, help us to make the most of it. And help us to make the most of it by talking to you about it. Getting close to you. Understanding your heart, hearing your voice. And then asking you to step into our lives. Step into our friends and our family's situations, to step into our community, or to step into our church in ways that only you can. So Jesus, we ask you to come right now. Stir our hearts. And may we partner with you and your spirit in our lives to write a story <laughs> that's so amazing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.